Today we're going to cover Jonah chapter 2. It's 10 verses long. Jonah's, uh, as I mentioned in your Old Testament, if you would turn there, if you have your Bibles, it is a little difficult to find because it's so short. So if you want to use the table of contents, go ahead. But if you don't have your Bible, the verses will be on the screen. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit. O oh Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word stands forever. And may this be the word that is preached here today. We recognize that unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, in the last verse of chapter 1, that's where we left off last week, it starts, chapter 1, verse 17, sounds a lot like the last verse, verse 10, verse 10 of chapter 2. They both start off speaking of the fish. In verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a fish. Now, this is one of those stories in your Bible I mentioned last week that is strange. It's a story that if you have friends that are skeptics or if you've struggled at times to, to believe, uh, this is a story that at times is hard to believe. But here's what we believe. We believe God's Word is true. We can hold to it. We can stand on it. It is true. God has given us exactly what we need for life and to reveal Himself to us. Also, we believe that God is all-powerful. He can do whatever He wants. And if God chooses to speak to a fish, the fish will obey. God spoke to the ocean and sent a storm after Jonah. The sailors, God spoke to them through lots and revealed that Jonah is the one who's running. In, in this book, everything 
everyone, every creature, all of creation obeys God. The only one we see resistant to God is the prophet of God, Jonah. And here, Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And what we get today is his prayer in the belly of the fish. We get what, hap what happens during those three days that he's in the belly of the fish. And in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah, this is the first mention of prayer. God calls him to go to the people of Nineveh. He runs. He doesn't pray. He doesn't talk to God. He just runs. Here, in a moment of desperation, he cries out to God. That's how it often is. Sometimes it's in your most difficult season. Sometimes it's in your most desperate moment. When you feel hopeless, when you feel helpless, when there's nowhere else to run, that you go, God, I need you. You may not have heard from me in a while, but I'm desperate. Come, help me. Come, save me. And that's where Jonah is. He is desperate. And that may be where some of you are today. You may be here in a very difficult season. You may be struggling. You may be suffering. You may be like Jonah and know this. We're going to see that God hears Jonah. Here is his prayer. He says, I called out of my distress. Jonah's distressed here. And what we're, what we're going to see, I want to show you a few things. I'm going to show you five things in this prayer that are a picture of salvation. The first three things I'm going to show you reveal the reality of sin in our life. Jonah, he's in distress. He realizes that. And the first thing we see, this is a prayer of repentance that we're going to see. The first thing we see in Jonah's prayer, or some would call it a psalm of repentance, is that Jonah is hopeless. Before a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, they have to realize but because of their sin, they are hopeless. You can't work hard enough to deal with your sin. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough and pray enough and try enough. None of those will save you. You look and you go, I am utterly hopeless. I can't obey the Lord perfectly. I can't walk in His statutes. I can't do enough good deeds. My family of origin can't save me. None of that can save me. I'm hopeless. And that's where Jonah, he has no hope. He's in the ocean and interesting if you look at the Old Testament the Jewish people never go near the water they do not like the water in fact they would call it the abyss they called it the chaos they were afraid of the water they would drown they would die and and they believed that to be thrown in it was an utter act of cruelty and misfortune. So Jonah, he doesn't know how to swim. He's being thrown into this water and he is in desperation, being swallowed up by this fish. He even calls it in verse 2, look at what it says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. That word Sheol carries this idea, it's the place of death. Jonah doesn't believe he's going to live. He believes he's dying, he's near death and he cries out to God. And I love what it says here. And you 
heard my voice. Know that. If you're in a place where you've been running from God, maybe you've been ignoring Him, you don't want anything to do with Him, maybe you've been living with some sinful habit that you, don't, you can't give up, you keep coming back to it, you keep struggling, you think, how could God ever forgive me? How could He ever hear from me? Know this, Jonah ran from God. We're going to see that Jonah is going to confess his sin, yet God hears him. You can never go so far that God will no longer hear you. He will always hear you. He will know where you are. Look at what it says in verse 3. You cast me into the depth. Heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me. He's describing his utter helpless, hopeless estate. He's in a place where he can't be saved, he believes. Death is certain. But you, we know from Scripture you can't run from God. God is everywhere. He knows all things. To run from Him seems like foolishness. I remember when my wife Margaret was pregnant with our youngest boy. We have three boys that are very close together in age and uh, my wife was expecting and it was Christmas time and I was going to go visit my parents and take the boys but my wife couldn't go because she was so far along in her pregnancy. So I traveled with three young boys by myself ages seven, five, and four. Now if some of you have ever traveled with young children, I took a plane with three young boys by myself. And for me, my wife was quite concerned. She said, the youngest, he likes to roam off and wonder. He always has. He still wanders off today. If one gets lost, it's going to be him. He's not good with directions. And she said, he may run away. He's only four. You're going to lose him. So I bought a backpack. And on this backpack, it had a strap that some people would refer to as a leash, that every time he would try to run away, he couldn't get anywhere. He finally asked me, why are you dragging me like a chicken? I didn't know I was dragging him like a chicken, but that was his response. My goal was simple. I'm not going to lose you. You're not going to get away from me. And I'll do whatever it takes to keep you from running from me. And know this, there's nowhere you can go that you can outrun God. He doesn't need a leash. He doesn't need anything like that because you can't go out of His presence. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your heart and mind. He loves you. He cares for you. And He wants you to come back. You can't run from Him. No matter how hard you try. And in verse 4, look at what it says. Then I said, I'm driven from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. I'm driven from your sight. Second thing that sin does, it separates you from God. It separates you from God. The Bible speaks a lot of confession. And sometimes as Christians, we get these two things mixed up. We confess our sin. Acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and that's Jesus. And Jesus is the one who saves us. He does all the work. He did it upon the cross. Death could not hold Him down. And when we trust Him for salvation, we are secure. Brothers and sisters, you are secure in your salvation in Jesus Christ. Yet, for the Christian, you can walk in sin still. We still struggle with sin, and our sin 
separates us from God. It separates us from the joy of salvation. It separates us from the fullness of knowing Him. If you're here today and you don't feel near the Lord, you feel far from Him, the likely reality is that sin is in your life that is keeping you from that. Sometimes we're deceived and we don't see areas of sin in our life. Jonah here, he sees the sin in his life. But that's what sin does. It separates you from God and the enemy. He doesn't want you tasting the joy of walking with the Lord. Even for the Christian, he wants you to not be near him. He wants to take the Christian and even use you for his purposes rather than for the glory of God. So sin, it separates, and Jonah sees that, but look at what he says, yet shall I look upon your holy temple. Now the temple, for the Jewish person, that's where God, though he is everywhere in the Old Testament, God's presence rested in the temple in a unique way. So if you wanted to come be near the Lord, you came to the temple. And Jonah is saying, I'm going to look again upon your temple. What he's saying is, I'm looking toward the temple even in the belly of this fish. I'm looking toward the presence of God. And in verse 5 and 6, he gives a description of death. He's drowning. Seaweed's coming around him. He's falling into the, the mountains that are under the ocean. He is dying. He's going into a pit. And that's the third thing that sin does. Sin kills. Sin is, leads to death. That's where sin will do. The result of sin is we are dead. We are dead in our sin and Jonah is dying. That's what happens to every person. Every one of us here today, unless the Lord returns before this happens, every one of us will face physical death. No one escapes it. No matter how much we try, we all will encounter physical death unless the Lord returns before that. Yet, we don't have to encounter a spiritual death, an eternal death. Now that comes from not knowing the Lord, from being separated to Him. That's what the enemy wants you to do, is be separated. But Jonah is saying, I'm going to look to your presence. And then he calls out to the Lord out of the pit. And in verse 7, look at what he says. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I love that phrase. Have you ever been in a situation where you look up and you realize you're stressed and you're thinking of all these solutions and you're trying to figure out what to do and you just can't quite figure it out and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. I didn't even pray to God. I didn't even cry out to Him. He will hear me if I cry out. He said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He said, cast all my anxieties upon him. Here I am carrying it and I can hand it to him. And that's what Jonah does. He remembers the Lord. And look in verse 7, my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Jonah says, I'm looking to pray to you in your holy temple. And the prayer comes to God in the holy temple. God hears him. God hears the rebel, the prophet who runs. Know this, God hears your prayers. He listens. There's no place you can run that He will not hear you. He heard Jonah's voice. Now in verse 8, we're going to see Jonah repent. 
We're going to see him repent of his sin. Look at what it says here. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. Listen to that. Those who fall into idolatry forsake the one place, the one place that steadfast love exists. Every idol you pursue, it may love you for a minute, but it'll leave you empty. It will not satisfy your soul. And when we talk about idols, often we think of stone statues, wood statues. That's not what Scripture is often talking about. An idol is this. Let me give you a definition. An idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. Let me say that again. An idol is something that you look to to provide what only God can give you. So idols, hear this, they're often good things. Parents, if you're more worried about your children being happy, then you are holy. Your family may have become an idol. We're to care for our family, that's a good thing. But they can even become an idol. If you're always worried about trying to control everything and make sure your finances are all in perfect order and everything, and I'll have peace. I'll have peace when everything is in order. Your idol is control. No, God's over all things. He knows all things. You can go to Him. We're never on this side of eternity going to have everything perfectly in order. You may be trying to adhere to a perfect religious code I'm going to pray this much. I'm going to bow. I'm going to do all these things. Religion can become an idol. Relationships can become an idol. If that person would just notice me, if they would just love me, if I could just please that person, or for a single person, if I just had Mr. Right or Miss Right or whatever it is, a relationship can become an idol. All these things are good, but they can't become before God. Now, an, a, another way to say what an idol is reading a quote from Tim Keller. It says, It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel secure. My life will have meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll be significant and secure. Your significance comes from God. Your security is found only in Christ. He's where you find it. Yet when we look to other things, we are falling into idolatry. And that's what Jonah confesses. Hey, I've had an idol. Jonah's idol. He doesn't want to obey God. He wants to be in control. He doesn't want God's grace coming there. He wants to do ministry his own way. And here he confesses that he has forsaken the steadfast love of God, the one place where there is hope. In verse 9, it says, But with the voice of thanksgiving, will, uh, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Here he is repenting. That's the, we've said, there's five things I'm going to show you. Three are realities of sin. Here's our response when you recognize your sin. You only have one response to sin. Confess it and run to Christ. You repent. I have sinned against you, God. 
I'm going to return to you. And Jonah says, I'm going to lift up a voice of thanksgiving that you forgive. I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. I'm going to lay my life down. That's what we're to do as Christians. We lay our life down for His glory. And He says, what I have vowed, what I've said, I will lay my life down for your glory. I'm going to do it. He repents. Here's the definition of repentance. It's very simple, yet very powerful. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God in faith and trust. That faith and trust is fulfilled in Christ. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God in faith and trust. And that's what Jonah does here. Look at what it says. The last thing that we're going to see is repentance leads to salvation. I said there's five things I wanted to show you. Three are the realities of sin. We repent. And as we repent, God saves us. Look at what he says at the end of verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That word for salvation in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. That's the word used for salvation here in the Hebrew. Now, some of you may have already picked up on this. The Hebrew word for Yeshua in the New Testament, it's pronounced Jesus. Jesus is salvation. God himself provides salvation in himself, in the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh to come and rescue us, to come and save us. So Jesus belongs to the Lord. Jesus is salvation. He's the source of salvation. He's our only hope that we have. So Jonah, we see this prayer of repentance where he turns back to the Lord. And just as it said the Lord appointed the fish to swallow up Jonah, in verse 10 it says the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the ground. Notice how God rescues Jonah through a fish. I titled this message, A Bad Place to Live, A Good Place to Learn. Because I don't think Jonah wanted to be in the belly of that fish. I don't think any of us want to be in the belly of that fish for three days. Yet, God taught him. God redeemed him. You see, Jonah didn't need physical saving as much as he needed saving from his own sin and rebellion toward God and the death that it brought. And God redeems Jonah He brings him back to himself and then the fish takes Jonah to safety upon the dry ground. So we see salvation here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, when he's speaking to Israel that has rebelled against him, they've rejected Jesus as their Savior. He says this, you get one more sign. One sign. The last sign that Jesus will give to the hardened nation who's rejected him is this, the sign of Jonah. For three days and three nights, I will be in the belly of the earth and I will rise to new life. And for 40 days, I will declare salvation. That's what God called Jonah to do. Three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And then he spits him out on the ground to to live and to go declare for 40 days salvation to the Ninevites. In 40 days, God's going to bring a judgment unless you turn. 
One of the beautiful things we get to do today, Mike mentioned this at the beginning, and this is truly one of my favorite Sundays. We do this a few times a year, I think around three or four here at IEC. We do baptism. And baptism is a beautiful picture of us recognizing we're sinful and that we need a Savior and that He saves. And we get to see those who place their faith in Christ take a step of obedience to obey God's call to be baptized. And just like Jonah went down into the water certain he would die when a person's baptized, if we hold them under too long, they're certain to die. Yet we raise them to a newness of life. It's a beautiful picture. But as we head to baptism, I want us as a congregation to take a moment to confess, to offer repentance to God. There's a continual repentance that the Christian has, and I've, I've, we're going to read together. I'm going to have a stand in a moment, and what we're going to do is I want you to read the words on the screen with me. We're going to say them out loud if you can, but if you, more than saying them out loud, I want your heart and mind to engage with what these words say because they're true of all of us. And we all need to continually confess in order to walk in the fullness of life and the joy of our salvation that God gives us. So if you would please stand with me. This is something we don't typically do here, but I felt this was appropriate for today in light of where we are. I'm going to read and you read along with me. We'll start. Most holy and merciful Father, I confess that I have sinned by my own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart and mind and strength. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I have not forgiven others as I have been forgiven. Have mercy on me, Lord. I have not, I have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. I have not been true to the mind of Christ. I have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on me, Lord. I confess to you, Lord, all my past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in my life. I confess to you, Lord, my self-indulgent appetites and ways and my exploitation of other people, I confess to you, Lord. My anger at my own frustration and my envy of those more fortunate than I, I confess to you, Lord. Uh, my intermittent love and worldly, uh, worldly goods and comforts and my dishonesty in daily life and work, I confess to you, Lord. My negligence in prayer and worship and my failure to commend the faith that is in me, I confess to you, Lord. Accept my repentance, Lord, for the wrongs I've done, for my blindness to human need and suffering, and my indifference to indulgence and cruelty. Accept my repentance, Lord, for all false judgments, for uncharitable thoughts toward my neighbors, and for all my prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from me. Accept my repentance, Lord. Restore me, good Lord, and let your anger depart from me. Favorably hear me 
for your mercy is great. Accomplish in me and all your church the work of your salvation, that I may show forth all your glory to the world by the cross of your Son, our Lord. Bring me, bring me with your saints to the joy of his resurrection. You may be seated. God, we, um, we thank you for the story of Jonah. How a rebel who runs from you, you pursue. And that your grace is sufficient even for a rebellious prophet. And Lord, we, we who know you and are Christian, who've traced, placed our faith in Christ, we confess that we too are often rebellious. So we thank you that your grace is sufficient. We repent of our sin and run to you. So Lord, now as we celebrate baptism, may we be reminded of the joy of our salvation and of our baptisms. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.